We are beginning a, a, a new book and a new series today, and we're uh, very excited about it. We're gonna, we've spent a long period of time in the Old Testament looking at the prophet Ezekiel. We are now making that jump to the New Testament, where we're going to spend a, a couple of months into the book, in the book of Titus, and then we are going to go over to the book of James. And so today, we are going to begin at the beginning, which is Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to be reading through to verse 4. So in honor of the word, we are standing, and the word of God says this, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested, even his word and the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of our God and our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Please be seated. Have you ever been given the advice to start with the end in mind. Maybe it, 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 had, it could happen in a lot of different contexts, but the idea is, is to remember the reason why you are doing something in order to help you stick with something and not get off track or to give up. Seems fitting that a, a concept like this would happen on Mother's Day when we talk about being a mother because being a mother is one of, if not the hardest job with undoubtedly the worst pay of any job that has ever existed. And I'm sure there has been many times in the life of you mothers in the room where you really had to start something with the end in mind or otherwise you were never going to get through it. One such thing that came to my mind was potty training. <laughs> and any mother here has probably at some point with at least one kid had to potty train them, otherwise they couldn't be sitting next to you right now. <laughs> I got the opportunity to potty train one of my three children, and that was solely because his plumbing matched my plumbing, and so I got a job. But my wife had to potty train those other two, and I have no doubt just from being the observer and the one in deep prayer that I was not murdered through the process, I had to pray that I had to see my wife steadfastly go through the potty training process, and I can only say that you would have to start with the end in mind to willingly tackle something like potty training. It is messy. It is frustrating. By the time you finally think you got it figured out, they decide to do something wild with, with all of that type of stuff. And I'm sure as you are washing sheets, going through frustration, cleaning the bathroom floor, cleaning the bathroom walls, cleaning the bathroom ceiling, um, as you are going through that whole process, all you are thinking is one day, I won't have to change diapers anymore. Amen? We get this. And there's a lot of things beyond even potty training where we have to start with the end in mind. We can think about being healthier. Often when we talk about when we want to lose weight and be healthier, we begin the process of dieting and exercise and all those things. It is not joyful. And so often we have to start with the end in mind that there's going to come a day where I will feel better and I will look better and I may be able to get off some of the medications that I'm currently on and I may not be enjoying what 
what I'm doing now, but if I keep going and I keep the end in mind, then I'll be able to endure. For almost all of us here, we can apply that to when we went to school or when we started a job. Very few of us started off with the exact job that we wanted. Most of us in this room had to have a process for that. And we started with the first job that we could get. And if we start with the end in mind, we continue to work and to strive and to go to school and to learn because eventually there will come a day where we will get to the job that we wanted, even if it's not necessarily the job that we initially thought we wanted. And so we keep the goal in mind, and we learn, and we prove diligent, and we work, and we remain faithful to the cause so that one day we might get to where we want to be. As we begin the book of Titus, start his letter in the usual fashion of the time. He begins by introducing himself, and then follows by, addressed by letting us know who the letter is addressed to. However, in this very short letter from Paul to his friend and to his spiritual brother, Titus, he is going to not waste a single word. And he is going to make sure that every single thing that he says to Titus has meaning and importance for the sake of Titus beginning to plant churches and build them up and cause them to grow. And so he is going to go to Titus and he's going to talk to him about who he is and what he has come to do and the promise upon which he stands and upon which he endures. Paul reminds Titus that in both um, that he has both started and continued with the end in mind. And he does so to make sure that Titus does the, the exact same thing where he has been planted. So as we get into the text today, we can begin to see what end Paul has in mind and then begin to apply that to ourselves and begin to, to, to recognize that what Paul is instructing Titus to is exactly what Paul is instructing us to today. It begins with the way the letter begins. Who is Paul? He introduces himself and he begins the letter by saying, I, Paul, a bondservant of God. Now, this term is pretty common in the New Testament. We find it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is not uncommon for Paul to introduce himself in this way in his letters. And we can go back just a little bit to Philippians 1.1, where he refers to himself as a bondservant or a bondslave of Christ Jesus, showing Paul's belief that both Jesus and God the Father to both be God. We see him refer to himself as this bond slave of Christ as well as a bond slave of God. The word bond servant in English is someone who has been pressed into service of another without wage. We often want to try to diminish this word to make it mean a little less than probably what Paul wrote it to mean because the Greek word is the word that means everybody and anybody who is not their own Leader is not their own captain, is not the, in charge of themselves. The word can be described as slave, servant, bondservant, bondslave. Throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, sometimes we'll see it as bondservant, but a lot of times we'll see it as a word like slave. And the reality is, is in the original language, there's no difference. One definition I read as I was studying and, and looking at this, it was this. It says, this is a person 
who wholly gives over his will to another person. And I have to admit, that sounds spot on. Paul is reminding Titus that he has completely given himself over to the Lord and to his will. Paul, a bondservant of God, is Paul who has given up his whole life to God. We might think of this as something grand, wonderful, or even extreme, but the reality is this is just the expectation of those who are followers of Christ. We look at Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The reality is, is every single person in this room is called to be a bondservant to Christ, is called to be a slave to God, is called to give up our will, our desires, what we want, and to give those things over to God so that his will might be done through us. We have, if indeed we are a follower of Christ, wholly given over ourselves to Christ. Paul goes on from here. He says, first, I, Paul, a bondservant of God, and then goes on to say, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This designation is really an outpouring of the first in light of the fact that Paul is a slave or a bondservant to God. He is therefore inherently an apostle to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word apostle has a different meaning than that of bondservant. And it comes from a word that means to be sent out. He is saying, I am a slave to God and I have been sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about this sending in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 2, it says this, that while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who would later be called Paul, for the work which I have, been, have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, as I mentioned before, all of us are called to be bondservants of God. However, not all of us will be called to be an apostle. This was Paul's specific way of surrendering his will to God. He had surrendered himself to God for the very purpose that we read about in Acts chapter 13, because God, and then God sent, set him aside for the purpose of being an apostle, to be one who is sent out by God to do the work of God. Now, this may not be what you are called to. However, every single person in this room is called to use their gifts within the church for the edification of the church. Ephesians 4, chapter 11, we read these words. He gave some as apostles, that would be Paul and those like him, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Paul, in just these few words, as he identifies who, him, who he is, he reminds us that first and foremost, we are to surrender ourselves to the will of God and then to do whatever it is that God has equipped us and enabled us to do. Even within this passage in Ephesians, we see some are going to be apostles. 
Those who go forth, plant new churches and preach the gospel. Some are going to be prophets, those who speak the very words of God into the lives of people. Some are going to be evangelists who proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some will be pastors shepherding the flock, teachers. And then if you keep going, you'll notice that some are going to do the work of service. There is far more spiritual gifts than just what we have here, but all of them are used for the building up of the body of Christ. You exist for a reason. And that reason is not so that you can make money and retire early and live a life of comfort. You exist for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. This brings us to our next point. See, Paul first begins by answering the question of who I am. Not just that, hey, you remember me, I'm Paul, we used to travel together. But hey, I am Paul, and this is what God has called me to do. And then he goes on to say, and this is to whom I've been called to do it. So who is he doing these things for? I think we've already seen the answer to that in our passage today. And the first thing is that he has done, he does what he does for God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that even though he is a leader within the church, he still identifies himself as an apostle of a Jesus Christ and a slave or a servant to God. Ultimately, he would recognize the fact that his allegiance is to God and God alone. Again, we recognize that both God and Jesus part of the Godhead and would be in no way in conflict, conflict with each other. This means for us as well that ultimately we serve the Lord. And when we serve God, that we do everything we do is supposed to be done for the Lord and with the Lord in mind and for his glorification. We do not serve the pastor. I am not the one that you are trying to please. We do not serve other church members. Do not worry about what other people think to you and for their approval. Now, we should listen and we should encourage one another and build up one another, but we should not live in fear of other people in this church. Not what they say, not what they do. You should not live in fear of other people in this church regarding how you dress or the music you prefer or your hairstyle. We should not live in fear of other church members. We do not, li we do not seek to ultimately serve a denomination. We are a Southern Baptist church and we identify as a Southern Baptist church, but we do not live in fear of the Southern Baptist convention. They should live in fear of us. We do not live in fear of our community, trying to look like the world, talk like the world, do what the world expects us to do. We don't ask Elizabethtown or Hardin County what we should say or what we should do. And we do not ask the United States of America or Congress or the president what we believe and why we believe it. Nor anyone else. When it comes right down to it, we as a church, we serve God alone. And everyone else can just get out of the way. Not only is it important for us to remember that we serve the, the Lord alone so that we do not live in fear of man, but also we serve the Lord because, and I really truly believe this, because when we are serving the Lord and serving him alone, it is the solution to burnout. 
Jesus said to his apostles when he was in Samaria. He had uh, gone into Samaria. They decided to go through instead of around, and they'd finally come to a well. It was the uh, well of Jacob, and Jesus was resting, and he had his, his interaction with the Samaritan woman, if you remember that story. And he had had his conversation with her and really revealed the truth to her. And then she had left and his disciples had come back and he had stayed there at the well while his disciples went into town and they got food. And now that they had come back and the woman had left, they were they were pressing him to eat. And he said, I I don't need to eat. I'm not I don't need any food. I've, I've already got food, basically. And that confused his disciples and they began to talk to one another and they began to say, they'd say, did someone give him to eat? They'd seen the woman leaving. That had been the only person that they were aware of that he'd had any interaction with. And so that they were asking, did someone give him something to eat? And he said this in response. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I want to pause on that just a second because this is a verse that I've held very tightly to through the years as as I sometimes in my life battled with burnout and fatigue and exhaustion. When you forget who you're serving, you begin to grow weary of serving the people who don't matter. When we think about the church, a lot of times we begin to forget that we are serving the Lord and we begin to serve the church. And that can be exhausting. We show up for every meeting. We do everything. We feel bad if we don't or we feel bad if we have to miss a meeting. We feel bad because maybe personal life and family things begin to quit. We start to apologize for doing crazy things like, I don't know, spending time with your family and going on vacation. And we begin to feel the grind begin to tear at us to a point that we have nothing left to offer anybody because we have nothing left in the tank. We have given and we have given and we have given, but we have never given, got, been able to put anything back in. Now, I want you to notice here, though, what he says here is not that my food is to read my Bible more or my food is to sit in a Sunday sermon or my food is to, to go on vacation in Gatlinburg. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Do you realize that when you are serving the Lord, using the gifts that God has given you, using the, the, the fruit that God is manifesting in you, and you are doing what God wants you to do, how he wants you to do it, when he wants you to do it, where he wants you to do it, that that starts to be something that wells up inside of you and gives you the satisfaction that you need. Have you ever thought about that? If you are doing what God wants you to do, where God wants you to do it, how God wants you to do it, that is satisfying in and of itself, and you won't get burnout because you will recognize that you are doing exactly what God has made you to do. Now, I didn't, this is something I really truly believe in. A lot of times when we begin to see and feel that burnout, it is often because not so much that we're doing the wrong things, though that can certainly be the case. But we have forgotten for whom we do it. That we are doing these things to glorify God, that we are serving the Lord, that we are making Him the center of all we are and all we do. And we want to see Him glorified. And we want to see His will done. And we want to see His work accomplished. And sometimes, I'll tell you, sometimes you can be doing the exact same thing that you were doing before, but your eyes have gone off of God and onto something else. On to success, 
on to making a name for yourself, on to being pleasing to, like I said, a pastor or a church or denomination, and then that fatigue will begin to set in. But as Jesus said himself, when we do the things that God has called us to do, when we build those things up, we will notice that we can run and not grow weary. And we can serve and not get fatigued. Now, we still need to rest. Don't get me wrong. God has called us to rest. But we won't get burnt out. Because ultimately, our goal will be pleasing the Lord and not some loudmouth bald guy who stands up in front of the church every Sunday. But there's something else I want you to notice about this passage in regards to whom Paul serves or whom his service benefits. Looking again at verse 1, he says that I am a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. So he is acknowledging that what he is doing, he does it for the Lord and he does it unto the Lord, but he recognizing that his service is for the benefit of those chosen of God. Now those chosen of God in this context is the church. Paul is writing to Titus, who is in the process of planting and establishing the church in Crete. He is acknowledging that what he is doing is for the church and for the benefit of the church. We had read this already in Ephesians chapter 4 when it says that all of these people exist for the benefiting of, the building up of the body of Christ. Paul understands that this service to God is building up the church. That when he proclaimed the gospel and the people believed that the church was blessed. When he taught them the truth and proper beliefs and, and established elders and, and deacons among them so that they might stay true to the, the gospel and the word of God, the church was blessed. When he wrote his letters and instructed Titus on what to do while he was in Crete, he knew that the church would be blessed. God was building up his church through Paul and other people like Paul. And Paul understood that this was his mission and it ought to be our mission as well. Romans 14, 19 says this. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So when we look at this and Paul is really just putting so much into this, this very, very beginning, he is reminding of the church, listen, this is who I am. I am a servant of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is for the building up of the faith of the body of believers, of those called by God. And when we think about who Paul is and what he is doing, we should have the same wants and desires that we would be a slave to God using our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. And this leads to the final question, which is why? What is the end? If you remember all the way back at the beginning when we talked about the why, we have to remember why we're doing something or we'll lose sight uh, of it and begin to do the things that we're not supposed to do. If you're potty training a toddler, you have to remind yourself that the end is that this kid will go potty on their own. And I won't have to buy any more diapers or wipes or anything like that. When we think about a job, we have to remind ourselves that, that eventually I am going to be in this position doing this thing that I really love and I have to get through this part to get to that part. I have to keep the end in mind and eventually, finally, Paul gets to what the end in mind is. I want to read again to you verses 2 and verse 3. He says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago, 
But at the proper time, he has manifested even his word in the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of our God and Savior. In his service, in the way that Paul served both the Lord and the church, Paul looked beyond this world and this reality to eternity. He knew that God had promised him eternal life and that it was his word from the very beginning. And now it was being revealed through Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. It was this message of the resurrection that Paul had been entrusted with and now went out to proclaim. Paul was doing what he was doing because he knew that he was not made for this world. He knew that there was an eternity beyond this world, that there was eternal life, and that he had been called into the ministry to make eternal life known and to experience eternal life himself. Now, I don't want you to misread what is being said here and begin to think that Paul was serving the Lord in hopes that he might earn his eternal life. He was not an apostle and a slave to God hoping that he might in some way, shape or form stay in God's will and be able to live together. But rather, he served the Lord because he knew that God had already promised it to him through faith in Jesus. And God, according to his own nature, could not take that promise back. I love this because, you know, we always hear those statements like, well, can God make a, can God create a rock that he can't lift, right? And they think that, oh, I got you. I asked, you can't answer that question because if God can do everything, right? But then look again at what it says. It says, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. See, believe it or not, there are certain things that God can't do. He can't lie. Because he can't do something that's in conflict with his own character and nature. In fact, the very reality of who God is, is if God was to speak it, it would automatically be so. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be a separation between the light and the darkness, and there was. He created planets and, and, and lizards and snakes and, and, and fish and, and birds and animals and ultimately created us. And all he had to do was speak them into existence. If God speaks it, it is. And so when God spoke and created the gospel, even at the foundation of time, even at the very beginning, it was so. And God cannot tell a lie. For we have eternal life through Christ Jesus and no one else. And this has been the, this has been the plan since before time began. And the best news is, is that this eternal life was not just for Paul. But it was also for us and for all those who would faithfully give up their lives to Christ. That God would give eternal life to all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, even in the midst of all this, just in him saying, hey, it's me, Paul. He takes the time to establish this is the gospel. That we have eternal life, that we have hope from God promised to us from the very beginning that those who would place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. This good news was meant for people like you and me. 
just like it was meant for people like Titus. Notice verse 4. After he does all of this to establish who God is and what he has done and who Paul is in light of God's story, he says to you, Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He reminds him of what the gospel is and what his role in the gospel is. And he says, and this, Titus, is the very gospel you've received. That the faith that I have in Christ that makes me both a slave and an apostle is the very faith that you have. And because of your faith, you have received grace and truth, or excuse me, grace and peace from God. Paul stood on the promise that God had saved him and had destined him for eternity with God. And he took that promise to the nations so they might stand on that promise as well. When we sing the song, Standing on the Promises, we are reminded that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter how hard things get, no matter how high the mountain is or how low the valley is, that we have a hope and that we have a future and that there will come a day if indeed we are in Christ will no longer will we suffer will we strive will we get burnt out or get exhausted but we will be free and Paul had this end in mind he had it in persecution he had it in good news and bad and he was willing to do whatever it took to see as many people come to that same end that he would come to. Paul could say that his vision was a church filled with people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation whose faith was in Christ, growing in their knowledge of God and in their obedience to him, destined for eternity with Jesus. And it is my hope and my prayer today that we would share that vision and that we would stand with Paul to see the church built up. I don't know if every mom feels this way, but I know that when you begin to raise a child, you have a vision for who you want that child to be. And if you're a Christian woman, which you may, you may not be here today, and that's okay, we're glad you're here. You probably have a vision of a child who fears the Lord, who does what is right, who helps in their family, maybe leads their home, provides, becomes a, we might say it this way, becomes a contributing member of society. But more importantly, someone who fears the Lord and serves in his, in his or her church. We should have that same vision for each other. That everyone here is growing in the Lord, in knowledge and in obedience, and serving the Lord. So the church might be built up both through new believers and the growth of the saints. If you're with us today and that sounds pretty good to you, but you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, we want to remind you of what is at stake. See, Paul said in our passage today that all that he does is so that he might 
one day be with Jesus. That he has placed his hope and trust in Jesus Christ. That he has believed that the resurrection is only through Jesus. That he has placed his hope and faith in Jesus. And so he continues to serve Jesus in the hope of eternal life, knowing that that has been promised to him. And that same thing has been promised to you today. But it is not promised to you if you do good things in the church and attend services and go to Sunday school and be a good person. No, it is promised to those who have handed their lives over to Jesus who have given themselves over to him, surrendered their will, and placed all their hope and trust in Jesus. If that is you today, we want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. I'm going to be standing in the front here for a few minutes as we close out our service, and I want to give you an opportunity to come and say, hey, I want to know more about what it means to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you want to to get on board and you're ready to do the things that God has called you to do, maybe you've been on the sideline for far too long. And God has given you a purpose and a mission. He has called you to something, to be diligent for His kingdom and for the church. We want to give you an opportunity to just take that to God. To confess, repent. Maybe you need to come up to these steps and just lay something down before the Lord and, and just offer something up to Him and just say, God, I've been doing my own thing and I'm done. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else. Maybe you just need to, to just sit where you're at right now and say, God, I've been trying to do it on my own and I, I ain't getting it done. And so, God, I'm surrendering yourself to me, Lord. I want to serve you and just show me how to do that. Maybe you want me to pray with you. You're invited to do that. However God is speaking to you today, we're going to sing one last song. And we want to invite you to respond today. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, when we think about what Paul says, just in this small part where he's introducing himself, God, we are reminded that that you have done great things. Lord, as we think that Paul was a, a, a servant of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ for the building up of the saints so that they might know you, that they might be obedient to you, And that they might be motivated by the eternity that they will spend with you. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart. God, that you would use us in that same way. Lord, that you would give us a vision of what the end is supposed to be. Your people, your nation of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Knowing you, following you, worshiping you, giving glory to you, God. And I pray that you would move our hearts in such a way. So that a world who does not know you might come to know you and surrender their lives to you. Father God, I know for some of us here today, that means starting today. And recognizing that you have created us with a purpose and a plan. God, that we have gone our own way. That we have sinned and we find ourselves in a place of brokenness and lostness where we don't know what to do or where to turn. Father God, I pray that when in that state, we might recognize that you and your great love for us sent your one and only son, that he lived the life that we couldn't live to die on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave three days later, defeating death and has given us this gospel, this gospel that says that if we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we will confess him as our Lord and savior, that we'll be saved. And Lord, I pray that indeed they will do that today and they will be saved and they will begin to recover and pursue your design for their life. 
Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would give us a heart to make this known so that we might transform the world for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.